you can get very granular about your grain. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, that was great. <laughs> Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 24th November 2022. I am Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by General Manager Sabrina Kunz and Steve Brockman, coming to you live from Bright Star Brewery in Adelaide. This is episode 396. Steve, I'm not sitting next to Sabrina this week, sitting next to you. Well, Sabrina's coming in uh, across the wires. Yeah, congratulations. Welcome to South Australia. Hey, Sabrina, how are you? Good, how are you? Very well, very well. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Bright Star Brewing is going to be our brewery of the week. Because uh, <laughs> first time here and love it. Like, what a great spot for a, a brewery. It's, this is a, you would call it an urban renewal project. Yeah, very much so. So if uh, people aren't familiar, Bright Star is located in Thebidon, so only a couple of streets away from the Wheat Chief Hotel, for those that know that spot. <laughs> um, and then and thank you for uh, the pronunciation because I, I'm never sure whether it's the Barton you know, or Thebiden, or and I asked the uh, Uber driver on the way here, and he wasn't sure. He's he was a recent arrival. Yes, yeah, so it's it's very much Thebiden, and if you uh, come in here saying Thebiden, the locals will laugh you out of here. So, okay. uh, and we're we're only about five hundred meters off the back gate of uh, West End as well. So, uh, the recently flattened West End, so yes. it's no longer existing, but um, it's good to continue to have a, a bit of brewing presence here in Thebiden because it's always been a brewing suburb. Yeah, beautiful, but it's really nice, interesting space where there's a lot of old buildings. You said it used to be University of South Australia? Yeah, University of Adelaide. So Adelaide, University of Adelaide buildings and um, still some of the University of Adelaide uh, buildings and campuses stick around here. But uh, what happened was uh, they built a big medical school and they needed to pay for that. So they sold the buildings off. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, in this kind of area of North Everton, it's a very small suburb, but it's a a lot more things coming into it. So there'll be some kind of medium density housing coming around here, which will be part of the main plan. We'll see what happens with West End as well. Which a pro tip for brewers who are looking at a place, don't look at what it is now, but look at the potential for, you know, assuming you've got longer term plans for a brewery, because you are going to have a population delivered to you um, over the next couple of years as that housing comes on stream. And so I'd imagine that you will be a community facility. 100%. And that's uh, part of the reason why this project kind of really attracted me to it. Um, so Gareth and Megan, who are the owners and co-founders here at Bright Star, they were really excited about the building and having lived in Thebiton previously, you know, I love this suburb as well and, and know what it is to be from Thebiton. There's a very much a 5031 kind of presence. Mm-hmm. It's uh, People live the postcode here and so to have the ability to continue to build that community and know what it will look like in a couple of years' time, always look for a place that you know, don't build for today, build for five years from now. Yeah. Brewery house and the brewery tap room, so. And, and that's what you saw, you, you, were, you were saying uh, off mic that that's what you saw in the US. A lot of the places that you were wondering, how can you afford a brewery in this space? Because they built it before it became cool. Yeah, fantastic spots. Um, a good example is Great Divide in Colorado. Uh, when we went there, it's a spectacular building yep. right in the middle of, you know, downtown Denver. And I was like, how did you guys find this much space in the CBD area. And they're like, when we came in here, it was very unpopular. Yeah. Uh, and and not that this part of Thebiton is unpopular, it's just recently been more industrial and is mm. now uh, changing over to be kind of a little bit more gentrified in this area. So it's an exciting project. It's really interesting to see how that concept, Steve, is almost being used by developers. So where we're seeing master plans made for sort of satellite cities, I guess, Um, and we've seen a couple around Brisbane and the brewery as the hub of a community is now one of the facilities they're putting in to help build that community for when people arrive. So they're actually sort of saying we're calling for a brewery to be in this master plan because we now know that that's something that people looking for to move looking for housing want in their space, which is so fascinating because that's part of the sort of you know, people have become accustomed to having their local. Whereas a few years ago, you would never have seen that as one of the draw cards of a master development plan. No. And and to be honest, like there's been developments here in Adelaide where people have looked out for um, like expressions of interest to see if a brewery wanted to move into the space. Mm. They're literally building buildings and going, we, we, hey, We've in done a advertising on exactly that yeah. because, you know, people that are looking for, you know, apartments these days, they want 
that urban amenity. You know, what are my local coffee shops? You know, where, where is my fruit and veg? Um, and, and what is my brewery? Because they are very much part of the, the, the community. And that's one of my big criticisms, particularly in states like Queensland where pokies and a bottle shop exclusivity exists. Hotels have given up that local. They've, they've all gotten big. And they're mini casinos and retailers, not the parish pump not the place that the community can go and you know looking around here it's a nice place to sit and gather no plasma screens no pokies you can sit and have a conversation and get together and it really is that um you know local facility as opposed to hotels which these days are a bit of a blight on cityscapes because yeah. they, they you know offering you know 4 a.m clothes because they want to get people in and you know rip out their pockets. Yeah, totally. And being from WA, that, that pokey mentality thing is something I've definitely had to come to grips with. It doesn't exist in WA, right? So um, here in South Australia, there definitely is that pokey pub model. Um, when this project was suggested, we were always like, let's be a community hub. So our area is in an old industrial building. It's from the 1930s. It's nice and white and bright. It's a big sawtooth building plenty of daylight it's it's a spot to gather and we still continue i mean we're only six months old um into the process you know our beers too aren't overly complex or challenging we like to make easy drinking european style beers the whole idea is it it should be fostering community I'm, i'm making beers that people grab don't immediately think about the beer and instead continue their conversation i just want conversation beers and there's almost an apologetic note that they're not the most you know in your face beers they're not and and, and you, i hear it a lot from brewers where you know that we, we still have this idea that craft beer was all about pushing boundaries and i think the industry's matured to the stage that when you are going to fill that niche you want to provide beers that have a broad appeal because you know not everyone that comes in is a beer geek that wants glitter in their beer or they want you know the they they, they care whether it's mosaic or you know another hop they just want a beer they can sit and drink and enjoy while they're socializing yeah and that's and that's definitely something that we aim for here so i'm always looking for drinkability i often say so we we serve the traditional 1 liter mass steins here so if I can't drink three steins of it, I'm probably not brewing it. Um, so That sounds oh, a little bit like Chuck Hahn, uh, what, what he used to say 20 years ago. Um, ultimate drinkability, that sessionability. Um, we want people to come back and back and back and mm. really help develop the community here in Thebiton. Um So it's, it's a slow burn. Um, yeah. It's something that we're not uh, attacking uh, quite ag- as aggressively. We want to build slowly, we want to build sustainably. But um, no, it's been a good journey so far. Just before we get into the news, and again, looking around, you know, there's a big sign up that says our Cicerone beer servers, Luke, Gareth and Megan. Congratulations to uh, Luke, Gareth and Megan for getting their um, Cicerone. That's obviously a selling point. You're having the staff that can explain the beer to the patrons. Yeah, so that little board there is actually a nod a little bit to Stomping Ground, who I think also do the same kind of thing. But it's really important for us to have well-trained staff. So um, in a craftier market where sometimes the consumer can know more than the bartender, we want to really make sure that people that are come to you know, our, our facility here at Brightstar, they can actually be guided into the beer. Um, we still have people in Thebiton that drink nothing but stouts or really love their West End. We can say, hey, you know what? If you really like West End, here's the Hellers. Here's the granddaddy to that style. You know, if you really liked your Southwark stout way back when, we've got a coffee stout that kind of sits in the similar similar slot. And we want the ability to train people and teach people that here's an equivalency. But then also, if you like those flavours, how about you check out this beer? So yeah. that's the whole idea. And having Cicerone trained staff is really a big part of that. And last one before, having said, we'll get into the news. Even looking, the beer board, crisp and clean, malty and sweet, sour and tart, fruit and spice, dark and roasty, hoppy and bitter, which... There are going to be beer geeks that throw off on that. But if I'm a consumer that just wants a beer that is what it says on the label or the, the, the billboard, sour and tart, a grapefruit Berliner Weiss, is, you know, that, that's the best way to describe it. It doesn't have to be, well, according to the uh, style manual, it's, it's, it's this and it falls within this subcategory and it's an ale and things like that. Was that a deliberate decision? Yeah, so that was actually um, guided a lot by Gareth. So Gareth has obviously done his Cicerone training and those are actually those six categories. Anyone that's Cicerone trained will recognise them as being broad categories within that training system. 
Um, and it just provides a real good opportunity for us to guide what we do. So we always want to see if we can have 12 beers on at any time. So two beers in each of the categories. And it allows the person to come up and go, I know what I like, what's in that kind of, what's in that slot. And it just makes it really easy. All of our beers also have like a three-word descriptor. So for our hellers, it's clean, crisp and bright. And so I try and, it's a, long, a lot of in-depth training with our bar staff who they also do their sister own training, but it's getting them to say the same words every time, getting them to say the same story every time. I can't be here pouring pints all the time. Um, and it really that kind of experience behind the bar is what gets people to come back to a brewery. You can make really, really good beer, but unless you can explain what the story of the venue is and what the story of the particular beer styles you are doing and why, then really that kind of experience falls down at the serving. So the serving In is an super important pitch. for us. Like, so, and it doesn't have to be this complex. Yeah. It's just that snappy... Exactly right. And you don't need to bat people over the head with information when they order a pint. Sometimes people just want a pint and just be done with it. And if they get a little snippet and then you find that they're interested, then you can kind of go into a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But I think sometimes maybe we overthink what service is. Service should be quick, prompt and inform. Like just that little bit of information... Um, and then you're away. So yep. that's the philosophy we're going with here, and it's going well. So, And I think uh, we might push this into the Brewery Pro. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's been great chat about it. But let's get on with the news. Um, this is our news podcast. Uh, that little bit of uh, hospitality education was provided for free. Industry drives support for agricultural jobs. The latest report by the Brewers Association of Australia has highlighted the number of jobs supported by the Australian brewing industry. Uh, conducted by economic consultancy ACIL Allen for the Brewers, Brewers Association, which represents Australia's largest beer makers, CUB, Lion and Coopers, the Australian Brewing Our Economic and Social Contribution Report found the industry supported 3,021 agricultural jobs during the 2019-2020 financial year. These jobs were created through a $473 million worth of agricultural ingredients sourced by the industry from Australian producers. The body also reported the industry contributing $16 billion annually to the Australian economy. Australians overwhelmingly drink beer brewed in Australia, made with Australian ingredients, sourced from Australian farms. Brewers Association Chief Executive Officer John Preston said in a media release. Um, and, you know, we uh, when, when we reported that, that was from a media release, but we did dig out uh, some of the stats. For example, HPA has recently invested $50 million plus in buying new land, repurposing it, you know, hanging trellises, uh, all of that sort of thing. Um, and there's been significant investments by other agricultural producers uh, to supply the brewing industry. And uh, it, it's great that the Brewers Association is telling that story. It's really interesting, Matt, because these kinds of economic studies, um, people are always going to try and poke holes at the methodology and really dig into it. But it's really actually difficult to scope um, the the full grain to glass supply chain and and its overall impact. That's a really difficult exercise, but these things are really important because when we look at government advocacy, be it state, local, or federal, uh, and and even thinking about our local one here that I've been raging about in Brisbane recently you know, they sort of forget that it goes beyond hospitality and employment at the brewery. It really does have this agricultural connection because that's fundamentally the key sources of brewing. And I think, you know, Australia has always prided itself on its agricultural products, but beer has been viewed a bit separate from that. And it increasingly consumers are looking at at all products and beer itself for what are the ingredients, where have they come from, are they locally sourced? We've talked ad nauseum about provenance. So for me, this was, you know, one that says that this can be used by all associations and all breweries to make the argument that the brewing industry is playing at the local level, really important, doing the kind of thing you're talking about, um, Steve, in terms of local economic community building in suburbs that don't have it and also at that really macro level in terms of our agricultural so excellent yay we have the numbers let's use them yeah and I, I thought the report was actually great um touching on your point there i think wine does a really great job of presenting itself as an agricultural product and a, a, a product of provenance and and beer has never been that despite the fact we have two agricultural products within our within our beverages so it's something that i'm very interested in um, having a small holding farm myself uh, up in the Adelaide Hills, I think the more and more I interact with different farmers, 
of all different sorts, of all different sizes, I think it's really important that beer starts to tell that story again um, and starts to really make sure that that agricultural provenance is there. And, and some of these numbers are amazing, like 97,000 full-time equivalent jobs supported by the brewing industry, 55,000 of them are in pubs and clubs, but... Who you are know, also selling like RTDs yes, and seltzers sure. and spelt, but, but but yeah, it's it's a good story though, and and I think. Yeah. But the the real big one was the three thousand farm jobs, and mm. yep. you know, in a in an economy where farm jobs are the getting harder and harder, the city, yep, it, you know, it's very hard to attract people back to regional centres. I think breweries are a twofold there, especially regional brewers. Mm. You know, they're opening within a regional centre, providing a community hub, but then also helping tell the story of the local community and their agricultural products. Because you just talked about provenance and you know, wine tells that story very, very well, but that's because there's the immediate connect between wine is generally made on the farm or on the, the um, vineyard where the grapes are grown. So the person who visits the taproom, for want of a better word, is seeing that agriculture and it's immediate. Breweries have always been the ingredients travel, the beer doesn't, whereas wine travels, the ingredients don't. So it's, a, it's, it's the reverse. And so when people go to breweries, they see more industrial spaces, they tend to be in the industrial, and that to some degree shapes their perception of what beer is because it's removed from the agriculture. And telling the story about agriculture is something that brewers have to do as part of their product to lock in that value and that economic contribution because otherwise it is just thought of as being a more industrial product, which it's not. It's a different product to wine. Brewers have to tell that story of its link to agriculture because it's not immediately apparent. And uh, I, I don't think we've done that very, very well. But anyone that's ever set foot on a hop farm during harvest, it is a transformational experience. It's amazing. Mm. It's, it's one of my favourite things I've ever done. I've done quite a few different hop farm tours while we're in the US and just, you know, with the exception, there's not many breweries that are built on hop farms. Um, there is a couple, Bale Breaker comes to mind in the yep. US um, and then there's also a bar called or a brewing company called Top Wire that's also on a hop okay. farm, which is spectacular and I, I really hope that someone in the Victorian high country of Tasmania takes that opportunity and builds a brewery on a hop farm um, but like you say, there's no tap rooms overlooking fields of barley. Um, yep. And so that connection needs to be made. I think um, actually, so in New Zealand and again, you know, I did quite a bit of work and, and this is sort of a bit left of centre, but I did a bit of work around um, blockchain, uh, agricultural blockchain, um, using uh, digital and technological tools to tell the story. So whether it's a QR code on the side of the can that connects, I know Gladfield Malt were investing in some work around this so that you could figure out, you know, which farmers farm the malt in that particular, you know, beer came from. And so I think, you know, with technology, there are the opportunities that are not, to your point, Matt, you know, wine gets travelled around the world but you you conjure up these pictures of the winery where it's come from. Beer might be made um, aside from the hop farm but I do think there are ways to tell that story more effectively than we are currently and the growth of technology and the speed of technology in these changes that all of our suppliers are working on is going to help us to tell that story more effectively so that the consumer can say, this can came from farmer X and hops from farm Y, and that is going to be so critical and helps support that story. I mean, it's going to be twofold, right? It's going to do like labelling has done for other things. Some people are not going to want it because then they can't sort of mm. fudge the story about being made on a remote island. Um and so, you know, I think there is going to be this challenge, but those breweries that are really wanting to say we are hyper-local and this is who we source from are going to be looking at those solutions. I mean, I, I've got thoughts on that whole blockchain thing that I won't share now for, without derailing the podcast, but just as a lot of consumers and the vast majority of consumers probably don't care whether it's Mochuaca hops or Galaxy hops being used in, in, in a beer. It's, it's how it tastes. I you can get very granular about your grain. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, that's, that's great. <laughs> but the, you, you, you walk into a bakery and just there is something about, even though bakeries aren't, don't exist on the wheat fields, 
you know that it's being made. That there are ways you can just bring back the industrial to agricultural without getting too deep about, well, it came from Farmer Joe and his cat's name is this and things like that. You know, you, you, you can still just say that this is an agricultural product. Anyway, it, it's great that the Brewers Association is doing that and, uh, you know, um, it, it's just, just a small step in beer telling its story and I don't think it's ever been more important that beer tells a compelling story mm-hmm. to politicians and members of parliament and the people that make decisions than they do now. Yeah. Moving on, speaking of agriculture um, and speaking of regionally based uh, breweries, very sad news in a way. Um, story came out yesterday and I first read it on the Crafty Pint. Red Hill Brewery listed for sale. The Red Hill Brewery on the morning to Peninsula has been listed for sale for the first time in 20 years. The property offers a unique brew house and associated buildings and equipment. The shedding capacity allows for production dispatch to be on site. The beer garden, car parking, paddock, dam, and a three bedroom renovated cottage. Um, add to the property. Um, yeah, uh, David and Karen Golding, uh, you know, they were in the industry um, when I was first starting writing about uh, about the industry and, you know, and talking about agriculture. They couldn't get a licence to brew. They had to get an agricultural permit to grow hops in order to even get the brewery in. Um, it, and, and yeah, so so they're OG um, when it comes to, to to breweries, and it's it was really lovely. It's a, it's one of those nice little breweries, um, but again, it, Steve, you were saying that it was quite sad um, in in a way that you know they, they were such fixtures on the industry, but that's where we're at. The people that founded the industry, um, you know, I, I think I I said. Uh, you know, when craft beer was getting going, it wasn't started by people who left school going, I'm going to make beer. It was mm. by people that already had established careers. Yeah. And I, I think the Goldings had been overseas. They loved beer. They'd seen it. They thought this can be something that we can do in Australia. And they came back and did it. They left their careers. And so by nature, they were people that were, you know, in their 30s to 40s or even a little bit older when they started their breweries. And, you know, 20-odd years on from the start of the craft beer movement – Somebody that was 40 then is, and I don't know how long, how old David and Karen are, I don't want to age them um, prematurely, but you are starting to get to that stage, what is my next chapter? And it's where we are as an industry. Yeah, I think we'll see more of it as the industry matures. Um, You're definitely seeing a lot of that in the US, but um, yeah, it it was a bit sad for me because um, David and Karen are such wonderful people, Mm. salt of the earth kind of people, and... As a young brewer coming up in WA, obviously not a lot of exposure to their beers, but then as I was able to travel, um, I got to meet both of them and uh, several different beer festivals and just just really nice people that really had that super passion for beer and obviously had had changed, done the career change, had built a regional brewery in a, mm. in a centre and, and really established something great. And for them now to get to the point where they're like, well, we'll have to put it up for sale... Um, it would be a fantastic opportunity for someone. I think the rebranding that they've done recently is, yep. is spectacular. They've got such um, such a great history of great beers there. Mm. So I think it would be a fantastic opportunity for someone. Um, and if I wasn't entrenched in South Australia, <laughs> I'd, I'd be taking it up for sure. Steve, that's the first thing I thought of was, um, you know, we are seeing brewers who or people who have been in the industry now maybe for let's call it 10 years, who are getting a little, um, I don't want to say tired, but maybe have sort of lost some of the fight around what is craft beer because it's changed so much. And my immediate thought was there is going to be someone out there that goes, that is, for want of a better term, like a return to craft. That is the sort of, I can leave this corporate jungle, get back out there, make the beers I want in a beautiful setting, and it's back to that sort of the essence of what started the movement. And I bet you somebody is out there going, this is such a fabulous opportunity. Well, I hope there is. Anyway. Oddly enough, I hadn't done a corporate beer tasting or like a beer tasting for a while, and I did one last Saturday, and one of the beers that I featured was Temptation, which is their strong golden ale. And even before they announced I was selling, I thought, you know, this is where the Australian beer market is at. You know, I love using Belgians when I'm doing beer and food matching. Or, you know, I, I did a Prancing Pony, their Dunkel lager matched with steak. Beautiful malt-driven beer. I, I did the um, Temptation from Red Hill. 
And all of these styles, once you had import to, to, to use, I was able to use exclusively Australian beers. So I used Maddock on the Gold Coast, uh, uh, Red Hill, um, Prancing Pony, Little Bang also had a, a, a nice um, malt-driven uh, beer. Um, there, there was an English special bitter. Um, again, Fantastic another malt-driven beer. Geyser Pleaser, I believe Pleaser, it's called. Geyser that's, that's yep. what it was called. And it was the first time, I think, in 20 years of doing beer tastings that every beer that I wanted for the menu could come from Australian craft brewery. And you know, so Red Hill had a Belgian strong golden ale that was bang on with a cheese board, um, with a blue cheese, worked really, really nicely. And, I, and it reflected a really small brewery in regional Victoria shouldn't be trying to compete. And you know, on one hand, you could say, well, what are they doing in Queensland at all? But they've got a unique niche with with some of their beers, um, you know, and it was great to, to be able to have it. And that, and that's where where the niche for a brewery of that of that size is. Um, the the only other thing I'm going to say is it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what it sells for, um, because you know we'll sort of get another dot point about real values versus equity crowdfunding values. But you know, I wasn't going to bring it up. There. I was um, not going to bring it up. Nope. I was, I was going to bring the soapbox over. <laughs> Thank you. They've actually installed a soapbox in the corner for me, knowing I was coming. Excellent. Um, moving on. Another article, uh, Vivian Topalovich, uh, our journalist, um, Lessons Learned, Parch Brewery, a little brewery in Brisbane's Gold Coast. Um, West End. It's reached its first, you know, after 22 years in uh, brewing for Red Hill, Parched is one year old um, and has learned the importance of adaptation and resilience for a new brewery. Parch, which had some challenges just even getting opened, were then affected by COVID. They were planning their brewery before COVID, but then they also got hit with a flood um, and they're still waiting for their insurance claims to be finalised. Their key lessons were understand your cost model and keep an eye on it and update regularly. Find the right marketing strategy is key. You need to constantly refine it to get your unique message out. Plan on funding at least 50% more for your original budget for the build. And a key to their successes started with their staff who create the right environment to build their local community. Uh, broadly, we have a vision to get better at everything we do, so I want to keep us pushing down the path of continuous improvement, he said. Steve, uh, some good advice there for you? Great advice. So I've done a little bit of brewing consulting over the time, and uh, it's always, you know, double your time, triple your budget. Uh, yeah. Everything costs so much more, <laughs> and ten points to any brewery that's opened during COVID. Because it, it, I mean, we opened during COVID and had to change some things last minute, so we've um, probably got more seating. Because at one point we were going to be opening with twenty five percent capacity seated, so we made the decision to skinny up our kitchen okay. um, to be make sure more bums are on seats to make the whole thing work. Um, so ten points to anyone that did open during COVID because it's been a tough slog. But um, all of the points that Carl raises awareness to there is uh, definitely definitely right. The uh, 30% extra for your build costs, everything is going up across the board. Um, I'd also add exceptional extra money on top of that uh, for uh, any of your shipping because shipping has gone sky high. I think some Is it still? I've, I've heard that it, it like from its peaks, it is down from its peaks but it's still above what it was. The peaks were four times higher than it was. Yep. So when you got a 400% increase on your shipping costs that happened over the course of 12 months, even coming down off that high peak, you're still paying a lot more than you were 12 months ago. And his, his advice is pretty sage on the cost model. Um, businesses really have to be nimble and have, really keep the eye on the prize here and work out what your cost model is and, and make sure that what you're doing is kind of you know, working. If it's not working, it'll be a death by a thousand cuts. And in a year's time or two years' time, you might find that there might be too much weight to bear. So um, I think that's really important uh, information there. Uh, and then, yeah, the working capital. It always kills everyone that when they <laughs> open, they go with a good big old pile of money and right at the start of it, you're spending money left, right and centre. And then as a, everything gets tighter and gets closer to the deadline, you look at the working capital and you're like, do I steal from the working capital to make sure that the brewery opens? And people do and sometimes people open with smaller capitals than they thought they would and sometimes that that can be a real um a real headache especially in your first couple of years of opening so no it's all good advice carl had some great stuff in there claire's last beer as a conversation was with penguin um beer co the island and they made the exact point around shipping costs you know it cost them it went up by eighty thousand dollars in the time that they were waiting for it to be shipped just the shipping 
not the not you know not the actual kid itself um but yeah. for me the interesting point there was beer is a business i mean i know we say it all the time but all of those pieces of, of advice were business advice they weren't related to the beer style they were related to how do we do this thing that we love in a way that is sustainable financially as a business um and so I thought that was really interesting. And then the piece for me that sort of stood out was they were talking about building community, which we always say is sort of the heart of craft beer. Uh, but he was really clear to talk about um, the key to getting great staff and it's the old Rich and Branson, your customer isn't always right. Treat Don't treat your customer the best, treat your staff the best and they will treat your customers the best. Uh, and, and that seemed to come through in that. And in a environment where attraction and retention and workforce uh, and I think it comes up in another article later on Nick Leach from Brewstaff basically sort of made the, the same point that says you know we have a collective job to as an industry attract staff but also work really hard to retain them by providing excellent programs and support that piece around having the best staff really stood out to me as as key advice exactly and uh, you know something if um if you wanted to tell people that you've got the best staff or the best beers, I'm struggling to think of how I might do that. Put it on the side of a can, maybe? Maybe on your packaging? How would you do it's that, It's kind Matt? of like a billboard on, 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 on a can, isn't it? It's like taking out a billboard, but a billboard that is in your fridge. I definitely have heard this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's what I've heard as well. And the, the people that can make your can a billboard are Rallings, label stickers and packaging. They're the people that if you've got the specs uh, on your can or bottles, they can get it sorted at all times. Call the guys at Rallings, label stickers and packaging on 1300 852 That's 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. Of course, there is a link in the show notes or you will find them on the uh, business directory and you can find out how Rallings can make your brand sing. Can I just add a little anecdote, Matt, about um, I caught up with the the um, lovely folks from Rallings this week and um, I said to them, guys, we've really got to stop calling it the Rallings effect. And they said, I said, I'm trying to call it the Bruce News effect. And they were like, it's so funny. We get people quoting our telephone number to us uh, and they get people calling it the Rallying <laughs> And we get people calling it the rallings effect as a result of um, the high quality advertisements that we do as part of the podcast. And so I thought that was, I made a deal with them that we would continue to call it the rallings effect and not the uh, bruise news effect. So dear boss, I just want to let you know that I've, um, I've relented on that one. And dear listener, if you would like people <laughs> quoting your phone number back to you, email us at producerbruisenews.com.au and we can put your name up in lights as well. Um, moving on, award to highlight the best brewery workplaces. This was an interesting one. It came in from the United Kingdom. The Society of Independent Brewers has announced the Empowering People Award. Um, you know, in, in Australia, we have seen a number of, uh, in addition to all of the awards for beer, there's beer marketing awards, there's beer journalism awards. But an award for breweries that are the best practice to work for um, is a, a really, really cool initiative. And uh, so we reached out to Australian Independent Brewers Association Chief Executive Officer Kylie Lethbridge, who said it was a positive initiative uh, and that the organisation would focus on the recommendations from the 2020 review before making further changes, but they are looking at, at it. Brew staff, which is, I think, Australia's only dedicated HR firm looking at brewing jobs. Um, and the founder, Nick Leach, uh, said the award could be a catalyst in improving workplace practices. I think it's a great initiative if it gets people talking seriously about the importance of a positive, safe and healthy workplace. I'm all for it. Sadly, I speak for many industry folk who work for employers who simply don't take employee well-being seriously. But an award like this would certainly shine a light on those that are going above and beyond for their people. Prevention is better than a cure. Given the significant skill shortages we face in the industry, retention remains the best strategy for tackling the hiring challenges many brewing businesses face. I think this is a great initiative. I actually really love this initiative and I really do hope the IBA takes this on as an uh, initiative and an award. It's different to their community reach award that they do every year. This is inward facing and I really like the idea, and Nick touched on it, 
in the article where it said we shouldn't be really measuring ourselves against other breweries. We should be measuring ourselves against other industries. Um, and this is an industry that, you know, famously, it's a passion industry and a lot of people get into it. And, and uh, I think sometimes it gets to the point within the industry where there's long hours, it's dangerous work, um, you know, people uh, don't get to spend as much family time sometimes because of the long hours that are involved in brewing, the safety aspect as well, lack of PPE, lack of safety showers. There's a fair few different groups that are trying to address things like this. So uh, Beer Agents for Change are trying to include more inclusivity, more diversity within the within the um, the group. But having an award that spotlights, hey, this brewery is actually doing it really well within Australia. This is a model that we can all follow. I think that leads the standard and allows other people, the visibility of that allows other people to follow an example. Um, so I, I welcome it. If this is something that the RBA wants to take on, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to see it every year. So we just saw, um, for example, uh, Black Ops win that workplace health and safety one in a in an awards program that is not beer related. We've seen quite a few breweries win small business awards and sustainability awards. And actually the award itself is excellent, but it's a little bit like people who can't decide why they enter the Indies with their beer. 50% of people are like, yeah, I'd really like to win because I want to do marketing and promotion of that win. And 50% are like, I want the feedback. And so part of having any kind of award like this, it's actually the process by which you go through (laughs) to submit for that award that lets you go, shit, we're actually not as far ahead as I thought we were on all of these people things. Um, And so that's the piece, and, and I think Nick touched on it. It's just people going, God, should we assess ourselves against whatever it is, and find out where we go. And that's actually where the real value is. The award is great. We should be celebrating people that are excellent, you know, seeing what we can learn from them. But that process of, and I know the IBA have got all sorts of people groups doing various different bits of activities. Um, We always use, you know, Lion certainly is a leader in a lot of spaces relating to its workforce. Asahi have done some excellent things this year in terms of uh, um, various programs f- around flexibility for their staff and so you take all of that together and you go just looking at the issues and saying what can we do better um can we do one two or three things a bit better um because we can't do everything then that's where the value is and so hopefully you know even this discussion prompts some people to go what could we do better yeah i think that's a fantastic point i mean even to give beer agents for a change another little plug here their survey that's out filled out that survey just the other week and even going through that process of filling out the survey there's a lot of things that i'm like we as a business that we don't even think about this and this yeah. is this is something that we could actually totally be thinking about um as far as inclusivity and diversity goes so i think anything that continues to raise the bar to make the brewing industry a more attractive place to be as as far as a career goes i think that's that's always positive so yeah and look, I think one of the things that would make the beer industry a more attractive place to work is a good quality hose because it's an important <laughs> part of the brewing process. Jeez, that was a long bow <laughs> coming in from the long run up, Matt Kierkegaard. Here we go. I like that he had a good 30 and, seconds to and think a good about qual- it. <laughs> and it, I don't want to diminish the issue, but, you know, and a good quality hose aids in producing good quality beer, just like good quality staff do. What's great with a company like Dixon Asia Pacific is that they stock a comprehensive range of FDA-approved non-tainting rubber and PVC hose for all brewing applications, as well as couplings, clamps, ferrules, and a fully integrated and safe hose assembly. Visit dixonvalve.com.au to find out more. There is a link in the show notes, and we thank dixonvalve.com.au, and that is Dixon Asia Pacific, for all they do to bring this podcast to you. Mailbag. We've got Grand Ridge Brewery as a naming rights sponsor of a major international event, World Superbikes. This was, uh, anyone want to comment about Grand Ridge sponsoring the Superbikes? I think this is awesome. Yep. The more that we can teach people on an international stage that we don't, don't all drink Fosters, the better. So I'm, I'm all down for it. Good point. Actually, I hadn't thought of that because Fosters is always over that, that arch. Yeah, yeah always, over, always over the arch. And then on Formula One is always sponsored by Fosters as well. And people go and, oh, Australian, you drink Fosters, and I'm like, I've, I've never seen a can of it other than in the States. So, um, great news for Grand Ridge. So, good I, work. and again, I don't want this to sound snarky, but I do wonder when Grand Ridge is going to sort of 
retire the most awarded brewery um, <laughs> tagline that they had. I, I think because they were one of the, the the very very early craft brewers, like 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 Red Hill, and they won a whole lot of awards. And I'm trying to think of. I think Beck's Beer has 1907 awards still on their label, so okay, fair enough. You, you're good to go, I reckon. At least 115 years. <laughs> well, Red Oak. I mean, Red Oak was the most. There was there yeah, was that was a whole true. thing. Red Oak was a whole lot. So exactly right. Anyway, I'm, I'm still using uh, award-winning beer writer, and it's been a while since I've uh, even entered. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I, actually, we don't, we don't have in the uh, notes who posted these. So apologies. To, uh, we do have for the next one, Bo Curtis. Um, I finally got through some of the excellent coverage of the Western Australian Brewers Conference content on the Brewery Pro channel. You can find Brewery Pro channel at Brewery Pro uh, <laughs> in your favourite podcasting service, including the great recent chat with Scott Phillips. They've had actually really, really good feedback about it, but I digress. Um, specifically for the Marketing to Millennials panel, with the recent spate of brands using social media influencers, it got me thinking. The TikTok terms of use specifically prohibit the use of the platform to promote alcohol products. They clearly don't police this as there's a fair bit of content from breweries. I've had this confirmed by several senior people at TikTok uh, AU. That aside, given the bulk of the TikTok users are 12 to 18-year-olds, aren't we as an industry courting the ire of regulators and those with anti-alcohol agendas if we push hard into the channel? Um, and, and this is where it's a little bit complicated. I don't think you can... They don't take advertising from alcohol brands is my understanding, but there are a number of influencers, there are a number of people who post content there. Um, but then also, I believe you can age gate. And like anything, um, Facebook was originally a platform that was for university students, college, college students. But these days, college students don't want to be on it because it's all you know, boomers and Gen Y and it's their grandparents. They don't want to uh, put anything there. So Instagram and TikTok are the places. And, and these things rapidly age as they, uh, they they move on. And also you can age gate. And I think the fair requirement is fewer than 25% of your audience can be 25. I think it's, yeah, don't don't quote me on that. But there is a, there are regulations and they are looking at it. And so... Yeah, um, we, we might need to look at some of those regulations so we can sort of post them as a guide for brewers. I'd be interested to hear from any brewers out there that are deliberately targeting TikTok as a platform. Um, it's not something that we do here and in chats to our social media team. Mm. They're, like, it's definitely out there, but whether yep. it's the value is there. I mean, I, I'm not on TikTok. I watch TikTok replays on Instagram like a um, normal adult. <laughs> like, um, like, like a normal... Uh, like a normal... Yeah, in, in Instagram <laughs> stories, that's where I see TikTok replays. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure who would be advertising in that space, and I'd be interested to see what their results are, whether uh, it's worthwhile. I would be very surprised, given the nature of the videos, if it's not entertaining... You, people just aren't going to... Yeah, it's, it's like all dance crazes and stuff, yeah. right? We sound um, <laughs> like a very... Sabrina, old... you're the youngest one here. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'm only... Um, I don't have TikTok. I also watch it because I don't... Jeez. As everybody knows, I don't social media very much. Um, but I think this is a space where I'm definitely not educated enough to make a whole host of comments on, but the panel that Bo was referring to, we actually had a social media expert on and we had Bronte from Eagle Bay Brewing and she made the same points that you made, um, Steve, around just there are so many platforms now to be on top of and you have to be doing them well and seeding them regularly for them to be effective as marketing tools that they're not, um, that, that, that's why people weren't in that space as much because, you know, they, they couldn't measure the ROI, etc. cetera. Um, but I think this point that Bo is making around influencers and, you know, we sort of made that point mm. last week with Spill in terms of um, as an influencer, they have their own brand that does their own things um, and that if beer becomes a part of the suite of products that they are selling or that they are aligned with, what does that mean? And, you know, the further away your marketing gets from your control, the less ability you have to make sure that all of those safeguards are in place. We've seen that with alcohol um, advertising placements that if you worked in the industry, you would think was in you know, shouldn't have happened, but buyers are not really thinking it through. So the further away it gets from you. So I do think it is going to be one um, I would be very interested in. It's sort of a fulsome discussion from 
marketing ABAC people that know really around these emerging spaces? Because, I mean, we're about to move from TikTok, well, we my age group are about to migrate from Twitter to Macedon, which is a whole new world of um, social media and potential ad buying placement. So I, I just think the, the environment is shifting so quickly. It's going to be really interesting to see. And, and that's always the, the, the challenge. What is targeting young people and what is inadvertently being reached? And, uh, you know, you look at the arguments around advertising at the moment where it's just so prevalent and uh, alcohol advertising is so prevalent. It's just going to be interesting to see how that space develops. I guess you have to advertise where the eyeballs are, right? So if the eyeballs are on different platforms, you've got to find where the eyeballs are. Well, but uh, and that's, the, that's the, the, the challenge. Are there some things that shouldn't be advertised? Like, you know, like I love alcohol, but I don't really like advertising. So, you know, that when you see the gambling ads i'm very sympathetic because i think that they are everywhere um and i think that gambling is has very little social redeemable value whereas alcohol i think is you know problematic potentially but has a lot of redeeming qualities as well so i'm more sympathetic to it but you know i'm I'm still aware of being viewed as a hypocrite by some who don't like alcohol as well and uh you know whether we are going to see increasing barriers to alcohol advertising as well um i don't know it's, it's going to be it's a brand new world it's a brand it new world to it is a brand new world moving on nice little actually this is a lovely little one and thank you to cameron brown who shared it with me um newstead brewing had an easter egg of a message underneath their label when you peel off hopefully it was a rallings label sticker and packaging label that they put on their uh, on their can but one of the adhesive cans and they're 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 blanks underneath um have their brand newstead and just saying great now i'm naked well this is awkward um which i, I just thought that was a really lovely brand engagement thing instead of just pulling it off and seeing the silver bullet underneath you actually see something that can apply to every every can but you know makes you remember the the, the time that you were that that quirky little thing um uh, about the brand I thought it was fantastic. I, uh, I've seen a lot of cool designs and um, little things that go on those silver bullets because you, if you're going to get in blank cans, you might as well make them unique to your own facility. But um, no, this is the next step. I think um, they've done a great job because obviously we were sitting here talking about it. So, you know, goal achieved. Well done, Newstead. <laughs> fantastic. Um, in other news, beer is a conversation. Uh, great. Uh, I think this was finally the last conversation. Yeah. I, I think I said last week's was the last. Claire, I spoke to Penguin Beer Company and Island State Brewing. Hit it up, listen to it in the uh, Beer is a Conversation channel. Um, the IBD Asia Pacific Convention registrations are open for the convention taking place in Adelaide in March 2023. You'll be you'll be going, Steve? We definitely will be going, yeah. So uh, it's a great time to come down to Adelaide. Uh, Mad March. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it across the country, but uh, we have the largest or second largest annual arts festival in the world in the Adelaide Fringe and the Adelaide Festival. Um, so there's plenty of stuff to do during March. Um, I think that wraps up the weekend before. So if you are going to come in for the convention... Maybe book a few days beforehand, see taking some cultural sites of Adelaide, and then straight into the convention. Which um, well, cultural sites being some of the great local breweries down here. Some of the lo- <laughs> great local breweries. You can find one in Thebiden. Uh, well, actually, you can find multiple in Thebiden, uh, including the Weedy. Um, but it, yeah, no, it, it should be a great time, um, and it's really great to see it come back to Adelaide. Um, so way, way back when, almost seventy years ago, this is kind of the Asia Pacific. Um, IBD conference started here, mm. so it's a return to home base. Oh, um, nice! And they haven't been able to do it for a couple of years with COVID, so it's um, great to see them come back. And yeah, all being headed up uh, a lot by uh, John over at Coopers. So Coopers, fantastic. Moving on, uh, Modus rebrands. Interesting that Modus, which had, you know, their packaging was some of the really strong branding when they launched with the you know the the, the, the big um, MX um, or uh, look silver cans with the tape around the bottom big uh, rebrand for them which is a, a big thing for a brewery to do because you risk upsetting or pleasing depending on uh, on what you do but they also actually the thing that stuck out for me from the media release was they recently won an architectural award for their new brewery and uh, going back to what I was saying at the start that breweries are places that people gather one of the things that was called out was 
the design of the place was a place that people wanted to be in and wanted to to to, to congregate to. So it was nice that architects are looking at that um, space. They're, they're not just creating, you know, architecturally pleasing places. They're people pleasing places. Yeah, the um, new facility looks great. I hadn't I didn't realised they'd built a new facility and having a look at some of the photos, I was just like, ooh. I'd like to go visit too. They've got a custom logo tile sitting yeah. on the wall. I was like, that's incredible. I don't even know how you get that done. So I'll have sure to look it, into that. And they didn't even equity crowdfund them. Didn't even equity crowdfund <laughs> it. Crazy. No, it's, it looks like a great facility and I think the rebrand is quite fresh. Mm. Um, definitely leaning on that, that pastel colour scheme. Yep. So readily identifiable. I like the idea that it very much looks like a branded house rather than a house of brands. So no, top-notch job. Yep. Um, and they slipped in a nice little thing. Well, you know, our new brewery has an additional 5 million litres for future new product development, or we can partner with your brand. <laughs> so they putting out a, a, a subtle uh, call for, if you're looking to get your beer brewed, uh, maybe uh, talk to the team at uh, Modus. Sabrina, I'm um, throwing this next one to you. Uh, the, uh. the soapbox is all yours. You go, girl. Oh, I don't know. I was just so. Uh, let me just finish on the Modus one. I really liked the. Um, I've been hearing you rant about this. Oh, I'm so cranky. Um, okay, sorry. On Modus, um, so the sort of to me the piece that was really interesting was that a business that's this, that is um, of the age and maturity of Modus is making really significant strategic investments. So they are lining up their, you know, as you said all of their brands with their architecture, creating consistency across investing in more scale, which means that there are those breweries that are still looking to really grow. So I just think when we look at this overall landscape with all of the crowd funds that are talking about growth, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But I thought that was a a really interesting part of the modus one. Um, And so dear listener, uh, moving on to my soapbox rants, As our listeners probably know, several years ago, um, the Queensland government uh, invested $800,000 into attracting Brewdog as a large brewery into Queensland. The Queensland government has not invested any dollars directly into any breweries out of Queensland I do have to say that was a direct cash investment, but then they had a whole lot of other incentives as well, um, Sabrina. So, like, that was a direct... We'll give you X cash plus all of these other benefits. I think they'll, you know, uh, salary uh, tax, uh, payroll tax holidays and a whole lot of other things. And I think Matt has done a good job over the years of sort of really calling out, you know, looking at the financials and so on and so forth. But BrewDog have um, invested. So this rant is not about BrewDog. Uh, This rant is about the governments in Queensland at various levels failing to support local breweries. And then um, so BrewDog have just opened their second venue in Fortitude Valley that is a, a, you know, partnership with the Australian Hotels Group, I believe. Um, And it's a venue. That's great. Yes, it's important. No, no, uh, in Queensland, I think it's they own it. Uh, Some of the other ones are... Okay, Sorry, 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 I didn't mean to speak over you, but... Uh, no, that's fine. Brisbane is theirs. Some of the other ones are Oz Venue Co. Right, okay. So they have a new venue. It's their venue. That's great. They're employing some local people. That's great. My rant was that over the course of the two weeks leading into that opening, the Queensland Treasury, the Queensland Government, the Brisbane Economic Development Group, so on and so forth, all featured this opening on their social media. They held events at this venue. Since that investment by the government, investment, and I've put that in quotes, into Brewdog, 21 breweries have opened in Queensland with local money, employing local people, using local ingredients, and not a single one of them has received a single social media post from the Queensland government, the Brisbane um, City Council. There is... I. I responded to the Brisbane City Council on LinkedIn because I was so furious about it. And their example of support is that a brewery on its own merits won an award at the Lord Mayor's Awards. So that was their support of the bre- the local brewing industry. Uh, Not a brewing when, award, a uh, sustainability award that any business... Could enter and they won it on their own merits. So... Um, Great job, Brisbane City Council. You let them win an award that they deserved to win. Kudos to you. Um, And I just, 
every single post by Brisbane City Council around food, etc., is wine and food. Uh, notwithstanding there are no wineries in um, Brisbane CBD, uh, but there are several breweries. And finally, that even when they promote a brews and food social media campaign, it was um, Aperol and mixed products. So my absolute rage is I do not understand why the government's cannot see if we use the you know just the report that was announced this week in terms of a 16 billion dollar contribution of breweries that are being founded here Queensland needs to get its act together um I'm just so raged about it Matt I just can't I even social media commented which I don't normally do because I was so raged um and this is not about Brewdog or its staff they are excellent that is not what this is about Top quality rant, Sabrina. Well done. Um, but because it, 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 that's the problem is that you've got the Queensland government. If this is the way that the Queensland government or any government works, where they're looking just at a shiny thing that is Brewdog, they've given them eight hundred thousand dollars plus the rest, and as a result of being embarrassed by that, they then invested money in a glossy brochure and consultants to advise them on the policy that hasn't led to any actual meaningful benefits to brewers apart from the TAFE course which you can't take away from but none of the other things have been actioned and now they're reviewing that and presumably with consultants if government spends more money developing strategies that it doesn't implement and then consultants on those strategies than it does for the industry it's trying to help there is something fundamentally wrong with that Um, and that is the problem with government is it's why people are so cynical. In the same week that all of those social media posts were being uh, done by the Queensland government entities, all over the world, Brewdog was being slammed in the media around the World Cup promotion. And so just the the lack of insight to even, oh, it, it just, it just, showed that there was this myopic view mm. about what was positive without any grounding in or any consideration, frankly, for that brand in a global or even in a brewing industry context. And so I just thought it was just so out of touch. It wasn't funny. Don't worry, we are looking into it and we'll uh, update our listeners on that soon. Now, I'm going to uh, take the Brewery of the Week this week, brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch for, or you are looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 8518 3172 and talk all things yeast Uh, and you'll find them in our business directory and we thank Bluestone Yeast for the Brewery of the Week and as much as I might hold uh, bright stuff for next week just a spoiler alert um, I I was I've just come to South Australia from Melbourne and uh, amongst the breweries I went to I got to stomping ground at Moorabbin a little bit out of the way having been to stomping ground in the city, in Collingwood, a number of times, and, uh, you know, really top-notch hospitality, and you even name-checked them with your um, some of the uh, things that you've done here, Steve. Getting down in Moorabbin and seeing that they were able to replicate it, really engage staff, you know, good food, the beers were bang on, but seeing breweries able to replicate something that works and keep the consistency up, I just thought it was a really, really nice... Um, space so really really good so uh, if, if you're on Melbourne South um, head out to Moorabbin and uh, check out Stomping Ground what is it Morris Moore there Morris Moore bingo nailed it bingo done it so uh, yeah check check him out uh, great venue um, anyone got any anything else to say oh just fantastic to have you on South Australian soil mate well, you're more than welcome anytime to come on down and you know experience the fun that is South Australian brewing very excited I'm heading off to the Prancing Pony 10th birthday uh you know not quite the 22 years of red hill but uh very excited about getting out to prancing pony for the first time having tried their beers a lot um great to get out there uh, on saturday and wishing them a happy birthday so uh yeah and thank you for having us a bright star no problems uh more than welcome to uh come on down and try all the beers and have a good time and yeah very much encourage you to get out there and try some more south australian beer that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz and Steve Brockman. We're coming to you live from Bright Star Brewing in Theberton. 
The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Dixon Asia Pacific and Bluestone Yeast for all of your support in making this episode possible. And thank you, dear listener, for listening and enjoying great beer. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service or joining us uh, in the Facebook group. Just search for Radio Brews News in Facebook. And on that... We're out. Cheers. Because you can't say boom anymore. (laughs) 